Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Hi there, Windsor Park Online. Great to be with you again. If you were reading the news during the week, there was an interesting article when former Prime Minister Sir John Key was asked about New Zealand's relationship with the US and China. He said that there was no doubt that managing the balance of those relationships was more challenging now than it had been when he was Prime Minister. As he said, and I quote, Without doubt, the world is becoming a more polarised place. Current Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was similarly asked about these relationships as she embarked on a trade mission trip to the USA just this past week. She said, and I quote, We live in a time where there's increasingly a perspective of a polarised approach where a country sits in one camp or another. I don't think any of us would doubt the increasing polarization of our world over any number of different issues, but particularly in the last two years. Nations, families, and churches have become increasingly polarized over issues related to the management of the COVID-19 pandemic, whether that be views and opinions over lockdowns, mandates, or vaccination programs. For me, it has been incredibly difficult to see this polarization play itself out in the church over recent times globally, because it is is absolutely the antithesis of what the church should be about. This is one of the reasons why we're working through a series called Reset, Following Jesus in a New Normal. Because clearly, we need to reset some of the basics of being a follower of Jesus if we're serious about seeing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And I suspect that most of us want that. We say it often enough when we say the Lord's Prayer. The metaphor we're using in this series is that to reset how we follow Jesus is to reacquaint ourselves with being an apprentice of Jesus, which means organizing our lives around three goals. We need to be with Jesus. We need to become like Jesus. We need to do what Jesus did. Over the last two weeks of this series, we've started looking at how we go about living those things out. Firstly, we looked at how we receive teaching into our lives and how that makes its way from our heads down into our hearts. And last week, I talked about how we go about putting practices and rhythms into our lives that show we're serious about being followers or apprentices of Jesus. You'll remember I encouraged you to write down your training plan. And I'm trusting that you all did that and that this last week has been amazing for you. Right? Well, today and for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at aspects of what it is to grow and be transformed as apprentices of Jesus with each other, around each other, and community with each other. Of course, this ties in beautifully with our vision and mission statements that we use here at Windsor Park. Our big picture dream, our vision, 
is to be part of growing stronger communities by putting our faith into action. And we seek to go about achieving that, our our mission, by doing life and faith together, acknowledging that no perfect people are allowed. One of the super important words in there is living out our lives and our faith together. That's why we have online hosts for those of you that are with us live. Here's the key point that I want to make today. Community, or together, plays a vital role in our transformation. But there is a gap between the idea of community and the messy reality of living it out. Kingdom-extending discipleship happens in the space in between. Being in community and committing ourselves to working through the increasing polarization that rises up among us is where deep and powerful transformation in our lives happens. But what I've learned about this over my years of being an apprentice to Jesus is that we are clearly not capable of doing a good job of that in our own strength. It really only happens when we allow the Holy Spirit space to work in our lives so that we can really see the power of God at work. I would go as far as to say that God-ordained community is perhaps one of the greatest miracles that we can ever hope for. The challenge is that remaining part of community, particularly when we have different opinions, is more elusive than it has perhaps ever been. But, and unsurprisingly, the scriptures contain everything that we need to help us achieve the miraculous. They show the challenges of community at play, and they give every possible bit of spirit-inspired advice about how to stay in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when you don't agree with all of the incredibly wise wisdom that I often give to you. (laughs) We start in the Bible by going back to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Through the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus gathering up his first group of 12 disciples, each with their own story and their own backgrounds. The calling of the disciples is summarized in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I'm not sure if we often read that list with the sense of absolute shock and horror that people would have had at the time when they saw this group of 12 hanging around together. Let's consider their backgrounds. Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, strong Jewish people, Jewish fishermen, like many of the other disciples, in fact. James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, were not just fishermen, but business owners. They would have been employers. And in Mark 3.17, it says that Jesus gave these two the name of Boandrages, which means sons of thunder. This was not a compliment. You don't get a nickname like sons of thunder for no reason. They were tough, no-nonsense men, colorful characters. They would not back away from a confrontation. In fact, they might even have looked forward to one. They could be very aggressive, and they could also be very insensitive. 
Who are you thinking of that could be described as a son or a daughter of thunder right now? (laughs) We then see Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew belonged to the class of Jewish tax collectors, the the moksha, who extorted money from travellers. Tax collectors were despised, regarded as traitors to their own people. Their money was considered unclean, and those taxed would, well, they would avoid asking for change. Jesus, in fact, upset the Pharisees when he enjoyed a meal at Matthew's house in Matthew 19 to 13. And then, while not strictly a profession, Simon the Canaanite earned the title of zealot. His fierce loyalty to his Jewish faith and Israel was evident. The zealots were a religious sect. Zealots would attempt to arouse rebellion among the Jews. And zealots, like Simon, engaged in politics and anarchy in hopes of instigating a revolution that would overthrow the Roman government. When Simon joined Jesus as the disciple, he remained zealous, but he did have a new allegiance and loyalty to Jesus rather than a political revolution. What about Judas Iscariot? Chosen by Jesus as treasurer, appears to be the only disciple who struggled continually with financial insecurity, and we all know how that ended up for him. This is a disparate bunch of people. Businessmen, tax collectors, zealots, suspect bankers, all carrying their passions and insecurities. Don't underestimate how radical this group was. But I can hear Jesus looking at this group and saying, well, no perfect people allowed. I doubt that they had an easy time getting along. And if you were to read Matthew 20, verse 20 to 25, you'd see one such example where the mother of Zebedee's sons asked Jesus to favor her sons. No doubt at their insistence. Verse 24 says, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And rightly so, Jesus called them together. And, well, he tried to sort it all out. When we get to the book of Acts, It's so easy to read the early chapters and think that everything was amazing in the early church. I mean, we feast on passages such as Acts 2, 42 to 47, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's beautiful, right? I mean, to this day, people plant churches with the dream of being just like that. It's so idealistic because just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 5, we see the brokenness of humanity coming out in the lives of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And let's just say it didn't end well for them. You can read the story for yourself. And in the later chapters of Acts, we see people starting to disagree over certain things, having theological disputes over who can be saved, debating who needs to be circumcised, not a debate we have today. And this had to be all worked through by bringing together what was called the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. The honeymoon period was well and truly over. You see, there is this ideal of community. Then there is the messy reality of community. And as I said earlier, 
Transformative discipleship happens in that space in between. Canadian theologian Jean Veillier, himself far from perfect as it turns out, once summed up the challenge of community and the hope that can come from it this way. He wrote this. Almost everyone finds their early days in a community ideal. It all seems perfect. They feel they are surrounded by saints, heroes, or at the least most exceptional people who are everything they want to be themselves. And then comes the letdown. The greater the idealization of the community at the start, the greater the disenchantment. If people manage to get through the second period, they come to the third phase, that of realization and of true commitment. They no longer see the other members of the community as saints or devils, but as people, each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing and each with their own hope. The community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth and they are ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the other members as they are. They are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. What the scriptures reveal to us is that to be an apprentice to Jesus is to be part of community. This is what Jesus modeled with his disciples. And it is what was modeled by the early church. Transformative spiritual growth does not happen to any great degree without being part of community where transformative spiritual growth can actually happen. In their book, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. Christopher Smith and John Patterson write this. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian faith. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. One of the most profound biblical themes that I have discovered and sought to grow into in my life are the one another's. Passages that are derived from the Greek word alion, which means one another, each other, mutually, reciprocally. This phrase occurs a hundred times in the New Testament and approximately 59 of those occurrences are specific commands teaching us how to relate to one another in the church. Applying these scriptures forms the basis for all significant Christian community and has a direct impact on our witness to the world. As John's Gospel chapter 13 verse 35 says, by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, the list is extensive and you probably need to grab a copy of my notes to take a look at them all individually. But hold on to your seats right now. Here's a bit of a list of them. Some positive references. Love one another. Well, this command occurs at least 16 times. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. I'm not giving you all the biblical references. Again, you can find them in my notes. Bear one another's burdens. 
Or how about forgive one another? This occurs several times through the New Testament. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You could try that, sing to one another. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. I hope you're getting the idea of these. They just keep coming up time and time again. Or stir up, which means provoke or stimulate one another to love and to good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another, the sharing of who we are. It's acknowledging that we're different. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Or confess your faults to one another. We find that in James chapter 5, verse 16. They are profound one another's. Or here are some perhaps some negative references, how not to treat one another. Colossians 3, 9 says, do not lie to one another. Romans 14, 13 says, stop passing judgment on one another. Or how about if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other in Galatians 5. Or let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Do not slander one another. James 5, 9, maybe you should just underline this one. Don't grumble against each other. Or in Romans 12, 5, we do all this because we are in a real sense members of one another. Can you see why we aren't capable of doing this in our own strength? (laughs) Can you understand, though, how incredibly powerful it would be if we applied even half of those passages, let alone all the others that I haven't read? We could summarize this by saying that the primary activity of the church that we see in the New Testament was one anothering one another. Before we even think about our programs and our buildings and our mission, the scriptures overwhelmingly show us how important our relationships with each other are. And I reiterate, they show what the greatest miracle really is. Love for one another. Friends, I know that we often talk about what the church should be doing. Many of you email me and say, the church should be doing this or the church should be doing that. I get it. That's the way we've been raised. We live in a a success-based, task-focused society in our Western way of thinking and living. But can you imagine what the church would be like if we spent a little more time working through all of the things that we don't like about each other? All the things that bring polarization into our discussions. Can you imagine what it would be like if we forgave one another, bore with one another, encouraged one another, sung to one another? What if we didn't grumble against each other? Imagine how powerfully attractive that would be in a world that has increasingly lost its ability to work through disagreement and conflict. Imagine if we reset our one-anothering. 
You know, I don't think there's many of us who don't want to be in the type of community that I've described. And I think it's actually the vision that God has for his people. But God also knows how incredibly hard it is. Hence, God being with us through the Holy Spirit to help us grow into all that God imagines us to be. In a paraphrase of John Lennon, imagine there's a heaven. It's easy if you try. It's here, the Spirit with us, transforming us to fly. Imagine all the people living for the Lord. Imagine there's no grumbling. It isn't hard to do, nothing to break or divide for. Faith in action too. Imagine all the people living for the Lord. Now you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the kingdom of God will be one. Imagine hitting the reset button in our new normal and allowing the Spirit to transform our relationships among those of us who are apprentices of Jesus, just as the Scriptures encourage us to do. It is possible. It is miraculous. But we have everything available to enable that reset. And the change in our lives can actually happen. Let's spend a moment thinking about what God might be saying to us with this question. How might I allow the Spirit to reset my thoughts, attitudes and behaviors towards my faith community in a way that would show that by this, everyone will know that I'm a disciple because I love those around me. Let's have a moment to think about that. And let me pray as we do that. Father, these words that we have read in Scripture are challenging. They're challenging in a world that lives its life further apart from each other. Father, we thank you for the gift of technology. It enables us to meet even in online spaces. It enables us to connect in new and fresh ways. So whether we meet with people in person, whether we meet with people digitally, we can still work on these aspects of our lives. Highlight to us today what we might need to change. And help us know with your enabling, with the power of your spirit, we can love in a way that draws people towards you. So help us as apprentices of Jesus to continue our transformation in our hearts through our love for our brothers and sisters around us. And let's spend a few moments thinking about that question. and reflecting on the approximate 59 one another statements that litter the New Testament and continue to speak to the church of today, we know that we all have work to do. 
Let's respond as we hear our voices asking God to help us as we go into the places God calls us to each day. We're going to have a responsive reading and I want to encourage you wherever you are to use your voices on the lines that say all as I lead us in a prayer. Maybe you're by yourself, maybe you're with somebody else, but actually audibly, let's say these words. For all the times that we gave up because it was too hard or would take too long, we pray, gracious God, give us the courage to change. To give us clarity to know your will in our lives and to do what we know is your will, We pray, gracious God, give us the courage to change. For those who fear drawing close to God, that the Spirit will free their spirits, we pray, gracious God, give us the courage to change. to recognize what it means to be the friend of Christ and to show this in our lives and relationships, we pray, gracious God, give us the courage to change. Oh God, help us surrender so that we may let go of control, place ourselves into your plans and allow you to raise new life within us Give us the grace to be women and men for others by sharing our gifts and give us the humility to allow you to empty us of selfish desires. We ask this in your name. Amen. And again, let's share together audibly the words of this benediction. Let us go forth into the world in peace and dedicated to your service, O Lord. Let us hold fast to that which is good. Render to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the needy and the afflicted. And honour all people. Let us love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of His Spirit. And may God's blessing be upon us and remain with us always. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.